0: Pope John Paul II, he didn't skirt the issue, but he framed his answer very carefully. He said, in order to prevent the worldwide power of communism from undertaking certain moves against the West, my predecessors in the Sea of Peter have diplomatically referred to withhold publication of the message.
1: of you recall Father Malachi Martin. He's actually quite the character. Um, He lived a life that was very blessed indeed. He was a Jesuit, a Jesuit who did what we'd all like to see priests doing nowadays. He called out his brother Jesuits for their infidelity, for their going in a direction anti-Christ. He wrote a book on it called The Jesuits. It was very controversial. Because it actually named names. Believe it or not, he actually went right out and named names in a book released publicly. Unbelievable. It's what we wish everyone would do. But, of course, that comes with its consequences. We all know the cancel culture today is very active. Well, the cancel culture was then as well. And um, we're going to find out about Father Malachi Martin. Very interesting fellow. There was a film made about him. Um, He was an exorcist. He actually saw demons, but you might wonder, why did he run around without clerics on? I know many Jesuits do that nowadays, but a priest who seemed so holy and so good, why was that? Let's take a look first at a clip from the trailer uh, from the film about Father Malachi Martin. Take a look.
0: I still believe that Malachi was the target. And not that little girl. She was the bait. We're talking about a four-year-old child. She was innocence personified. There was no reason why this kid should have been afflicted in this way. And he was called by Christ to do these things. He was a great... He was just a, a liar and a scoundrel and a cheat. He's a warrior. He was a warrior for God and he still is a warrior for God. These are very, very sophisticated spirits who are there to harm us. And there we are.
1: Speaking now with one of the people involved in the production of that very film, a person who actually got to know Father Malachi Martin very well. He is a close friend and was with him for 10 years, and he's able to tell us firsthand about Malachi Martin, his knowledge of the third secret of Fatima, of what it means about the Pope or prelates in the church, about his exorcism days, and much more. This is the John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. 2022 was 25 years. These one ounce silver rounds are available from our partners at stjosephspartners.com, where you can fulfill all of your silver and gold needs in this perilous time. May God bless you. Rob Morrow, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you very much, John Henry. It's an honor and a privilege to meet you and appear. Thank you for the invitation.
1: Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So this is really very stunning that you were such a close friend uh, to Father Malika Martin, a, a great figure and uh, very well known. But there's a lot of mystery there. We're going to get into that. But I want to start with probably the most controversial thing, people that you know know about him, know about the Third Fatima Secret and all the controversy there. What was his take on the Third Secret of Fatima? I know, you know, I think everybody knows that he read it, but maybe give us that background as well.
0: This is common knowledge. He was the chief aide to uh, Augustine Cardinal Bea, senior Jesuit cardinal, just prior to and during the Second Vatican. And he he had told me that one morning he was summoned by Cardinal Bea. They went up to the papal apartments. He was asked to wait, I guess, in an anteroom or a waiting area outside the actual People Apartments. He Cardinal Bay went inside. He was accompanied by several other prominent cardinals, cardinals we've Bocci, Cardinal Taviani, Suenens, just a bunch of very prominent cardinals, Cardinal Luccaro. And what year are we dealing with here? This was in 1959. And he said the doors were closed. And for about the next 45 minutes to an hour, I won't call it argumentation. He heard very loud animated discussion about that. Uh very loud animated discussion coming from within Pope St. John the 23rd's apartments. And after about 45 minutes, he said. Cardinal Bea just came storming out of Fable Apartments. And without even looking at him, he said, let's go, in German, Maliki kommen Sie. And he said Cardinal Bea was very angry. And they got down to his car, which was waiting downstairs. They got in the car, and Cardinal Bea didn't speak for a moment or two, but then said, I'm going to show you something. But first, you have to agree to read it under the conditions of the Pontifical Oath of Secrecy. And you may not divulge the exact contents of what I'm about to show you, unless you are released from that Pontifical Oath by the reigning pontiff himself. Maliki said, I agree to the conditions. He was handed a one-page German translation, third message of Fatima, he read it and handed it back to Cardinal Bea. He said, what is your interpretation of this? And Cardinal Bea said, and this is a quote as well as I can remember from Malachi. He said, Cardinal Bea said, and he was very angry. He said, Those fools have just condemned millions upon millions of people to death. That was all that he said of that meeting with Cardinal Bea. He said Cardinal Bea, who was actually known as back then, we're now talking going on 60 years, as a liberal cardinal. But liberal cardinal of 1959 was very different from a liberal cardinal of 2020. But he said he was very, he was very, very angry because the Pope had decided that this does not pertain to our pontificate, and decided that the message would not be released in 1960.
1: Yeah, and that's stunning because everybody knew from Sister Lucia herself that it was supposed. To, our Lady said it was to be released in 1960.
0: You're exactly right. When they think of Our Lady, they think of the picture behind me, and they think of Our Lady never. And they say she wouldn't involve herself in concrete, geopolitical, earthly matters. Yet, she did tell the shepherd children at Fatima, um, if mankind and the Pope follow my requests, Russia will be converted and a period of peace will be granted to the world. Uh, If my directions are not fulfilled, then another war will break out, a worse war will break out during the reign of Pope, Pope Pius XI. And he made that prediction several months before the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Father Martin
1: made many references to the Third Secret. He sort of hinted at things. Um, if you could give us some of those hints, Um, to the best of your recollections, the ones that you think were closest to the mark to really let us know what it's all about.
0: One thing he told me was that immediately after 1960, when the Pope refused to release the secret, began the alleged apparitions in Garabandal, Spain. And then 10 years after that, to Sister Agnes Sasagawa in Akita, Japan, And Maliki told me that the tenor of the messages of Fatima, Garabandal, and Akita are all almost the same. They all carry the same central message of prayer, repentance, reparation, communion.
1: Yeah, and it's from Akita that we get the cardinals against cardinals, bishops against bishops. It's from Garabandal, we get the warning the you know the three days of darkness comes in there as well
0: yes exactly and the three days darkness was not just spoken of at Garavendo, but mystics going back and saints going back as far as i believe blessed anna maria taigi in the early 19th century spoke of it as well as in the 19th century a rather obscure saint named uh saint gaspar de buffalo I hope I'm not mispronouncing his name, but they specifically spoke, yes, they specifically spoke of three days of darkness, uh, almost like it was one of the plagues that hit the Pharaoh in ancient Egypt when darkness covered the land. But getting back to your question about the third secret of Fatima and the contents, there are what uh, he referred to as earthly chastisements and spiritual chastisements as well. He told me several things, but he never told me the granular detail because he could not break the pontifical oath. But one thing that I thought was very interesting, he said, if you want to get the closest that a pontiff has ever come to actually talking about what is in the third secret, in 1980, before the assassination attempt on his life, Pope St. John Paul II was visiting Fulda, Germany. And I don't know if you're familiar with Fulda, Germany, but it used to, back in the bad old days, sit on what they called the inner German border. And if there was ever a war between the United States and the Warsaw Pact, one of the planes of advent, one of the, uh, axes of advance of the Warsaw Pact tank armies would be through the, uh, the folded gap, the gap between the mountains, against the United States' Fifth Army Corps. The Pope visited there deliberately because it was a flashpoint, and some of the pilgrims in. him. And this is verifiable, and you can have someone do the due diligence and look it up. It was originally published in a magazine, German magazine called Stimme des Glaubens. I believe it means Time of the Beliefs. Some of the people in the crowd asked Pope John Paul so II, Your Holiness, why was not the third message of Fatima fully divulged to the public as requested by Our Lady in 1960? And Pope John Paul II, he didn't skirt the issue, but he framed his answer very carefully. He said, in order to prevent the worldwide power of communism from undertaking certain moves against the West, my predecessors in the Sea of Peter have diplomatically referred to withhold publication of the message, which Maliki said the inference is, is that there is something mentioned in there that if the Kremlin knew it, they would call up their armies and say go now and take advantage of because the West has no defense against and that's why the Pope said to prevent the powers of communism from undertaking moves against the West it would have no power against the other thing that Pope John Pauls was, was and this actually makes a lot of sense he said if one And you have to listen to his wording. He said, if one is convinced that there exists such a message in which it is said that there will be earthquakes, great earthquakes, that there will be great floods, that nations will disappear, and millions of people will die from one moment to the next, if you are only concerned about hearing that message to satisfy curiosity, then is there a point to actually publishing such a message? And then he held up his rosary and he said, here is the remedy against that evil. Pray and ask the mother of God for nothing else. And then he went on to say, how often has the renewal of the church been affected by the persecution of blood. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but those are, that's very close to what he said. And his holiness said that. So he referenced, you know, earthquakes and floods, millions of people dying. And he was actually quite right. If people are only convinced because they want to satisfy their craving for sensationalism, You don't want to publish that message, and it would be irresponsible to do so.
1: Although, I mean, it is interesting on on behalf of Our Lady, she requested it to be um, done. And Mm -hmm. I I wouldn't second guess her geopolitical knowledge, even with the best advisors on earth, probably could have released it. Um, But anyway, they chose not to.
0: They chose not to. And the other reason why Maliki told me that they chose not to was John the 23rd when he was convoking his council was because it was the Second Vatican Ecumenical Council. And he was very anxious to have observers from both the Greek Orthodox and the Russian Orthodox Patriarchate of Moscow. And I remember it's all, it's almost a word for word quote, John. Malachy told me, he said, John, the twenty third. Directly defied the mother of God, so that he could have two KGB agents in clerical robes attend his presence. Given what you know of my background, I can say he spoke that sentence with authority because the two observers there were KGB officers. They were also clerics, but they were KGB officers. And they reported to a KGB general who was also a Russian Orthodox uh, metropolitan archbishop.
1: Kind of like China today,
0: which, which
1: has these new bishops, who, all who have a wife and children. Um, but they're the new bishops approved also by Rome.
0: Exactly. Not that there's any scandal there. No,
1: none whatsoever. I mean, the life of Malachi Martin, um, I guess for people who are not so familiar with him, an exorcist, a just an amazing... Why don't you give us a rundown uh, of Malachi Martin? who he is and what what he really means to the to history but but also to yourself
0: he was a combination spiritual director surrogate grandfather and best friend rolled up into one for a period of almost 10 years we saw each other once a week usually what we call here in the new york area at a greasy spoon diner over on lexington for lunch he entered the jesuits I believe as a teenager in the late 1930s. As you know, Ireland was neutral during the Second World War. He was formally ordained a Jesuit priest in 1954. He trained at the Pontifical Biblical Institute, Louvain, the University of Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Three doctorates. He was a polyglot. He spoke approximately 10 languages in addition to. uh, ecclesial latin ancient greek and what they called attic greek and i don't know the difference i'm not going to pretend to be an expert on that he was a polyglot he was one of the first uh, researchers to examine and interpret the dead sea scrolls and that was i believe the first book he ever published which was entitled the scribal character the Dead Sea Scrolls under the pseudonym Michael Seraf. I believe he was able to do that through a Guggenheim fellow in New York. He became an aide to Cardinal Bea and then during the second the course of the Second Vatican Council, there's there's a lot of uh, malicious rumor about I mean, people. There are actually people still maintaining he was a Mossad agent, the Israelis. Okay, so. I view that with a very jaundiced, but he saw where the Jesuits were going theologically. They were embracing social justice. And if you remember from the time, the word liberation was very popular among communist movements around the world. You just had to look at, you know, the official name of the Viet Cong, the liberation movement for Vietnam, the National Movement for Liberation of Angola, which was the communist MPLA. There were various national liberation movements everywhere. And it was actually, this is somewhat controversial, but it was um, Eastern Bloc Intelligence, which came up with the name Liberation Theology because they thought it would resonate with the people in South and Central America, who at the time tended to be dominated by very autocratic right-wing leaning governments. And there were Jesuits who found themselves out of a misguided sense of service to the poor, the infamous preferential option for the poor, that actually uh, joined these movements. Some of them were infamous for actually taking up arms in defiance of the Vatican. Some were killed. And Maliki just became uh, very disillusioned because he saw that they were sliding leftward ever more progressive until he went to His Holiness the Pope Pope Paul VI, and he said, after trying to resolve it internally, he just said, I cannot be any longer part of this religious order, which is supposed to be the elite vanguard in defense of your holiness. And instead, they're going in completely the opposite direction, heresy and promulgating defiance to the holies. And he was... Released from his vows as a Jesuit, Church in 1964, 1965. He was only released from his vows of obedience so he could leave the order, his vow of poverty, so that he could make his way and earn a living in the West. He was not released from and he maintained his vow of chastity until he died. He first moved to, I believe, Ireland, where he had family still living. Several of his brothers became very, were famous priests in their own right, such as Father F. X. Martin, Francis, his sister, Netta, they're all passed away. Since. Then he came to the United States, and I believe he was told by Cardinal Spellman or Cardinal Cushing that he was recommended that he find a family to move in with because a priest living on his own back then in the early 1960s would have been a cor- no, source of scandal and he ended up with a wealthy greek orthodox family the Lavanos family and i had been up to the Lavanos many times he basically didn't live in the apartment at large so much as there was a tiny room within the apartment complex that probably altogether measured maybe 14 feet by 14 feet square and that's where he had a bed a tiny library and his desk and a telephone and inside his closet when you opened up the little uh doors to the closet they swung their bifold doors that opened there was the tiniest little altar I've ever seen. And that's where he said his daily mass, And it was always the Roman mass.
1: So one of the criticisms, perhaps lighter criticisms, but that caused people to wonder about Father Malachi Martin was that he always appeared in civvies. Uh, he didn't wear a collar very often.
0: Was there a reason for that? Yes, there was, because he was primarily known as a writer and an author. And he did not appear in clerical clothing because he was not officially a priest of the Archdiocese of New York, responsible to the Cardinal Archbishop. That's why he always appeared, usually in a turtleneck sweater, a blazer, and slacks. When the situation called for it, there were times when he did appear in his clericals. I would take a photo of him approximately once every 18 months in his clericals, that he would then ask me for the film and i said where is this going he says i have to send it back to the matic. so it was almost like an identity photos and the only other time i saw him in clericals was at an ordination and at his funeral
1: Um, what were those and, um, you know, where is this stemming from?
0: Well, one of the controversies was he was laicized and no longer a priest at all. And documentation came out from the North American province, the Jesuits, from their director of communication in the early 2000s, which refutes that and states, for the record, Malachy Martin remained a Roman Catholic priest in good standing until his death in 1999. They went after him viciously after the publication of his 1976 bestseller, The Jesuits. And I believe that was an act of revenge. But five years of uh, posthumous, they released this letter. In response to many inquiries saying that, yes, in fact, he did remain a priest. He's no longer a Jesuit. They were very clear on that. But he was a priest in good standing until he passed. Now, it's very interesting
1: because his book, The Jesuits, he was notable because it actually named names. It does what um, nobody ever does. It not only calls out what's going on, but it names names. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: I believe the the phrase these days is, he said the quiet part out loud. He loved the Jesuits. He loved being a Jesuit. But he was an old school Jesuit. He was not the modern social justice, uh, you know, alphabet soup embracing Jesuits of today. He was an old school Jesuit who would lay down his life for the Holy Father if called to. And he saw what the Jesuits were becoming. And it'll be in the book that I'm writing because I have correspondence between him and his sister. And she was saying her nickname for him was Bobby. And she said, Bobby, this book you're writing, especially the fact that you're calling out people by name, she said, don't you think in a time of turbulence in the church that this is going to hurt the church? And for someone communicating back to his sister, he was rather sharp. He said, I'm naming names because when I appear before the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus, he's going to ask me, Malachi, you had the opportunity to concretely do something. You didn't. Tell me, Malachi, do you deserve to come home now? And Malachy was quite adamant about it. He said, and that's why I named names. Yeah,
1: he had what all of the holy prelates I've ever known in my life have. First and foremost, they know that their ultimate judge is our Lord and they will have to stand before, be, before him. And that is sort of ever present to these folks. I think of Bishop Schneider, I think of uh, you know some of the cardinals who I've been blessed to know, Cardinal Burke, for instance, they do. They, they live their lives knowing, with, with uh, almost seeing, the judgment seat. And that's how they live. And it's a beautiful way to live because it gives you everything you need. Exactly. It's, it's the ultimate perspective. So one of the things that's, that's come up more recently is talk about, you know, his Malachi Martin's remarks about the future, uh, you know, a future pope in the church. What is that
0: and what's it about? He said that within the context of the third secret. Once again, this was over one of our infamous diner lunches. But he said that there was something in the third secret that pertained to a future pontiff who would wreak great evil on the church prompted by Satan. And when I said, can you tell me any more about that? He would always clam up. He started out being a great fan of John Paul II, but after Assisi, not so much. Just so
1: that everybody knows, Assisi is the gathering where Pope John Paul II got together with religious leaders from every different religion, pagan and everything else included. Um, and it was done in, the, in Assisi, in the cathedral there, which... Um, my dad always used to say when the earthquake came, hit Assisi, and the the cupola fell and crushed the altar, that was a sign from God of what he thought of that. But anyway, please continue.
0: And then when I asked him, because, you know, everyone used to joke about uh, the late uh, Benedict Sixteenth when he was Cardinal Ratzinger and prefect of the CDF, that he was God's rottweiler that sobriquet came about because he disciplined a few of the more extreme examples of heterodoxy within the church but malachy said that did not make him a pious the fifth style traditionalist. so when i said to him this will be controversial but i'm going to say it anyway i said what do you think of the, of the current crop of cardinals if he is papabile, what do you think of him? He says, well, if you go by his writings from the Second Vatican Council and the books he published, he's the best of a bad boss, which I believe they call damning with faint praise. But he predeceded um, Cardinal Ratzinger by uh, six years. And Ratzinger's absolutely not shocked. He would be greatly saddened by the whole Pachamama episode because of what he knew occurred in the Pauline Chapel just prior to the uh, the elevation of Paul the the alleged enthronement of Lucifer by Satanists within the Vatican.
1: Let's go into that a little bit more, if you can explain what is that. When did he say that happened?
0: There's various competing dates. Some people say it happened in 1959. Other people say that it happened in 1963. There's a Father Brian Harrison who has written publicly to, I believe, the wonderer, the remnant in which he became quite good acquaintances with Malachi. And I believe this, the feast of Saints Peter and Paul is July 30th. And on the 30-year anniversary of that alleged enthronement of lucifer they called it the enthronement of the prince within the citadel of the nameless weakling they will never say the name of our that because there were two places involved chapel in south carolina and ceremony in the vatican that were linked by telephone he and father harrison performed Masses of reparation. Father Harrison was in Rome. Malachi was in his apartment in New York. And on the 30 year anniversary of that day, perform masses of reparation for the act within the Vatican. Do
1: we have an accounting of what happened there in the Vatican?
0: Yes. That's in the book Windswept House. And Malachi always told me that it was fairly accurate that Windswept House was approximately 90 to 95% fact with 5% fiction thrown in. And I said, why not just make it 100% fact? And he would always smile and say, because I want to keep my kneecaps. Wow. And what I tell people, if they, if they read Windswept House in isolation, it may tend to give you a skewed perspective. Are you aware of his book that came out immediately before it by several years called The Keys of This Blood? Heard of it. haven't read it. Okay. It's basically a college-level text about the competition between the globalist West, the formerly Marxist East, including Russia and China, and the Roman Catholic Church for world domination in the 21st century. And it's a college-level text in which he talks about how the church was being influenced slowly but surely by the writings of the Italian communist Antonio Gramsci. Are you aware of him? Yes. Okay. In which Jesus was not the divine son of God, but the ultimate revolutionary. And it was to Catholicize revolutionary, you know, salvation meant the establishment of a society based on equity of social justice in Marxism. And he saw that the Jesuits had fallen for that bookline sinker.
1: We have this great figure in the church whom you were privileged to know, um, but his reputation is being besmirched today. What's the source? Why? Why are people Concerned about you know uh, malika martin and and uh, speaking ill of him now, I mean it seems you know uh,
0: what what's the source of that? one of the people who started the ball rolling was about four or five years after Maliki passed away was the late Robert Blair Kaiser, who was i believe ultimately a reporter for the uh, National Catholic Reporter, the heterodox Catholic journal. For that, he was in Rome as a correspondent for Time Magazine. And he wrote a book entitled Clerical Error, in which he very adamantly claimed that Malachi Martin had an affair with his wife while he was in Rome during the Second Vatican Council. But what he doesn't come out and say, he, by the way, he's interviewed in our movie because in the motion picture hostage to the devil we wanted to give equal time to both sides so he passed away he was in hospice care in i believe arizona he passed away a couple of months after he was filmed but you know he said maliki was a liar a cheat and a scoundrel well what he doesn't say and this is verifiable that he was professionally diagnosed competent medical authorities as a paranoid schizophrenic.
1: Robert Blair Kaiser was yes. Okay.
0: If you're a paranoid schizophrenic, then of course you're going to think everyone around you is conspiring and out to get you. Right. And that that kind of started the ball rolling. And then there was some confusion over like for example over the title of one of Malachi's early works. I believe it was entitled Jesus Now in which he not he but his publisher said why jesus will not come again and people latched onto that with a pit bull. and malachi said they're misinterpreting the title our lord will come again as he foretold to his disciples before the ascension but if you walk into any church where there's a sanctuary lamp lit, our Lord's body, blood, soul, and divinity, exactly the same Jesus of Nazareth who walked the shores of the Sea of Galilee is present now among us. And we just don't reckon, I mean, it was very common. You, you know this better than I probably. It was very common years ago for people to visit Jesus in church. Yeah. They were consoling and keeping company with our Lord. That's what he meant. And then another fact of controversy is that he is buried up in New York, and Mrs. Lavanos is a housekeeper and landlady, is buried in an adjacent, in an adjacent place. and her name is inscribed there. And people say, ah, there it is. That's proof that there was a relationship. No, it's proof that six years after Maliki passed away, this lady chose to be buried next to him. And it's not like he had any say in that. And that's all that was, because I knew Katya Lovanos very well. She was a, a Greek woman in her 70s, a lovely woman when you got to know her, but she was very strict. Mrs. Lovanos was a Brooks, no nonsense landlady. In fact, for the first year that I knew Maliki, she was always suspicious of me as well. She was his gatekeeper. She was the one responsible for making sure that the publicity seekers, uh, those who were in real spiritual difficulty, and to call a spade a spade, the wingnuts, didn't pester Maliki. In, in that respect, she was his call screener. It was only after about a year that she came to trust me, and I would come up. I would come up to the apartment uh, for lunch with him when the weather was bad, and she didn't want him going. She was very protective of him, but there was never anything romantic between them. Never. People see the gravestone, they draw their own erroneous conclusions, and then they just let it perpetuate.
1: One of the things I think people had a hard time swallowing is that, I mean, I know our Lord gives gifts to people, but Malachi Martin wrote about and talked about being able to see demons. Can you explain that for us?
0: Yes, he was an exorcist. He was also a very great devotee of St. Michael the Archangel, in addition to Our Lady. Because of that, he said every day, the chaplet of St. Michael. He said, because he did that, to cultivate a relationship with his guardian angel. And he said he had been doing that for decades. And one of the graces he was granted, which, quote the old TV series, Monk, It's a Blessing and a Curse, was that he was, from time to time, given the ability to see malevolent spirits. and But he just took it not as a look what I can do, sort of parlor trick, but as an unfortunately necessary grace to carry out his mission as an exorcist and a Catholicist. Describe some of that, his descriptions of seeing demons. What What? would what, what he see? He said that they were physically hideous beyond belief, uh, that they were always taunting him about prior exorcisms In which he had successfully driven them out of an unfortunate soul and that during exorcisms, they would mock him saying, you know, and they would use very coarse and profane language. Uh, They refer to our Lord always as the nameless weakling. Uh, They refer to uh, our lady. As that woman. That woman is now here among us. Make her go away. And of course, they And Malachi wanted her there. But he said they were hideous, grotesque, beyond belief, quasi-humanoid looking creatures. He said, because they are, and this is important, he told me, they're not supernatural. I didn't know that. They're not supernatural. They are preternatural because there's the natural state that you and I find, the the geophysical world we see around us. There is the preternatural, which is the realm of the angelic. And he says, then there is the supernatural realm, which is only possessed by four personages, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, and Our Lady, by virtue of a special grace from the aforementioned, the Trinity, that's the realm of the supernatural, and that's where you've heard of people refer to Our Lady as the Mediatrix of all graces, and that's and that's where it comes from, her dispenser as supernatural of supernatural.
1: What happened with Father Malachi Martin? How did he die? What came of him at the end of his life?
0: He was asked to consult on an exorcism up in Connecticut at the home of the uh, psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Kumar Swami, and there was a young child, four or five years old, whose family had uh, driven from Detroit. He was asked to consult on the case from a purely spiritual perspective. I went up there, I dropped him off, came back several hours later, I picked. Picked him up. Unfortunately, due to a miscommunication and timing, I actually got to meet this child and had the wits scared out of me. He heard my confession on the way up. It was a general confession taking quite a while. I just wanted to be in the state of sanctifying grace as much as possible. I was very nervous. Um, then it was several weeks later. Our birthdays were only a few days apart. We had reached a point in our friendship where we didn't exchange gifts anymore. We would just go out and share a nice. And just toast each other happy birthday. I received a call from him the day before we were supposed to go out to dinner. He sounded very weak. And he just said, Rob, I've had a bit of a tumble. Old scratch. Wanted to get back in for Connecticut. And he said, and I'm sorry, I won't be able to make dinner. I've got to get off the phone now because there are people here to treat me which were paramedics. He didn't say paramedics, but they were paramedics. And those were the last words I ever heard. And he was calling me. He had just suffered a fall, having his uh, one of his legs, as he described, yanked out from underneath him in the apartment in his little office, yanked out from underneath him. He struck his head, suffered a coronary embolism, I believe, as a result of that, a brain bleed. And the last time I saw him was in a private room in Lenox Hill Hospital, where I managed to convince a nurse that I was family. It was early on a Sunday morning before he, the day before he passed. And I said the uh, Holy Rosary. And I, I just got very emotional. And, and that's how that that's the story. Pete, there's all kinds of nonsense out there how he was pushed down a flight of stairs where he was murdered. He was assassinated. No. He fell in his apartment due to demonic event, he was convinced, but he fell in his apartment, struck his head, and he never, you know, after he called me and was taken to the hospital, he never regained consciousness.
1: Life of a, you know, really seemingly very holy man. why the, you know, animosity to him? Well, maybe it's evident because, you know, he was so forthright. The lot of those very courageous prelates who dare to name names and call things out for what they are is uh, is not friendly in this world, but I'm sure it is in the next.
0: Exactly. I mean, just, we'll just look at what they did to Cardinal Pell, what uh, they say about Cardinal Burke, uh, His Excellency Bishop Schneider. You know, I realize we're probably coming up, we're going to be bumping up against time limits shortly. But one thing I would stress is that people should not take the Art Bell interviews as the authoritative interviews. They should look up Triumph Communications, Bernard Jansen in Canada, because he was Maliki's authorized interviewer in which they discussed a plethora of subjects. That I'm sure you'd find of great interest, but that time precludes us from distance.
1: Also, the film that you were involved with in and your new book coming out. If you can tell us about
0: those. The film, Costage, the Devil just relates his time as an exorcist. There's nothing lurid or sensational about it. People hear the title and they think it's a horror movie. And it's actually a biographic document. And it's a very it's a very interesting hour and 40 minutes. Uh, I was intimately involved with it. They were all very good people, very professional people. There's one instance where it's kind of funny. They came to New York and they bought an expensive piece of equipment at B&H Photo in New York City. You go to B&H. And every time they took it back to B&H because it kept malfunctioning, but when they got it back to B&H, it functioned perfectly. Finally, finally, they just said, you know they're Irishmen robert give us those rosaries and they would just drape the rosary over the camera and it would start functioning <laughs> the book that i'm writing uh the working title is malachy martin setting the record straight because there's a great deal about his career that is the subject of rumor transitioning into legend and His contemporaries, they've all passed away, but I knew him for almost a full decade on a weekly basis. I'm literally one of the last men standing. And what I know of him, the photographs, the information, and the inquiries that I've gotten through YouTube comments, literally from hundreds of people around the world, you know, in speaking with our mutual friend, Liz, she's... She's adamant that, and I agree with her. You know, history demands the testimony, and that's why the book will come out later this year. Rob, any final thoughts? At his core, he was Our Lady's priest. He was totally dedicated to Our Lord through his mother, especially the title Our Lady of Fat. He loved. He loved her almost as much as he loved her son. And that was that formed the core of, and the actions of everything he did, and that's that's the best I can say. That's the best way I can sum up his personality. Rob Mara, thank you
1: so much for being with us and telling us all about your friend, my great hero, and uh, someone that I think most of us need to learn more about, Father Malachi Martin.
0: I would agree. Thank you, John Henry. God bless you,
1: and God bless all of you. And we'll see you next time.